Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower, here with my co-host, sister, and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. <laughs> Hello, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. How are you? Well, seconds before we started, I stubbed my toe on my desk. So, you know, I had some fleeting agony, but I'm fine now. Oh, well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks it's for asking. It's always good when it's short-term <laughs> and not long-term pain. It's true, Yeah. Yeah. One time I dropped a can out of the cupboard on my big toe. Mm. Turned purple. It hurt so bad. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt so bad. So yeah. I'm glad yours wasn't too serious. Right. Yeah. I mean, toe injuries are definitely, you know, they're the worst. Not but, cool. Not cool at yeah. all. No, I'm good. I had all my kids home for the weekend. And nice. uh, yeah. yeah, it was really nice. And some of their friends. So my house was just full of, you know, young adults. And yeah, we had a super good time with them. It was nice to see everybody. And yeah, and, and I went to bed way too late, both two nights in a row, which, you know, I, I'm well, an old lady that crawls into bed early these days. Mm, 2 a.m., 1 a.m. stuff. Who do I think oh, I no. am? Right. I don't even think <laughs> I'd make it. I think someone would have to like wake me up and go, okay, you got to go to bed because I'd just be asleep on the couch somewhere. There is no way. I started nodding off the first night and I finally went, you should go to bed. You're probably making these kids feel like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But they just, it's, it's cool for them. You know, mm-hmm. I just remember stay, those I mean, days that stay up till five too. o'clock in the yeah. morning, go to college all day, work all evening. Yeah. Be fine. Home, work all night. Yeah. Now, if I did that, I would literally be dead. There's just no <laughs> way. <laughs> Me too. The poor dogs were like, can we please go to bed? They're not used to it either. (laughs) You cross that threshold over 40 and that just does not fly anymore. No, no, no. We were joking earlier today about curfews and uh, my wife Rhonda said our curfew is 9 p.m. That's what time we have to be in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Totally correct about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I get it. You know, when your kids do like, if you get sent to your room, you're pissed, right? Mm-hmm. Now that's all I want. <laughs> yes, please send me to my room. I will be fine. You don't like I my behavior? Be I will go to my room. I will. Voluntarily. I will. Absolutely. 100%. Well, we are bringing you a solved case in this episode. This is a case that is actually an Idaho case mm-hmm. that uh, the the resolution of it has been playing out fairly recently. And just kind of an interesting one that we wanted to share with you. This happened originally in Clayton, Idaho, which is near Salmon. Well, it's actually nearer to Chalice, isn't it? Yeah. In in Custer County. Tiny, tiny little place. I'm sure mm-hmm. a place you've never heard of or even been. Um, but this, this all started with a murder in 1980. Mm-hmm. This... Uh, happened on September 22nd, 1980. Uh, This was the death of Daniel Woolley. Woolley, um, who was a local, grew up in Clayton. He was 52 at the time that he was killed. He was shot in the head with a 22 caliber pistol following a brawl outside a bar um, that's now closed. It was called the Sports Club Bar. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the killing was witnessed. The bar owner, who was known only as Maggie in the news, um, was present, saw it happen, knew exactly who had done it. Uh, And the man who had done it is Mason. Sorry. Why can't I find his last name? Because I can't remember. Walter James Mason. (laughs) There you go. Walter James Mason, who was living uh, there in Clayton as well. 
Now, this is the crazy part about it, okay? Um, Once this happened, Mason just disappeared. Just disappeared from the community. He just took off and left, Mm -hmm. and no one could find him. The police looked for him. The FBI looked for him. He was searched for for a long time. There was a wanted poster out for him that he was armed and dangerous. Uh, It talked about how he had scars on his chest and his arms. And also that he'd lost the control of the muscles in the left side of his face. And when you see pictures yeah. of him, you'll see that his face really droops. So, um, you know, I thought this was really interesting. The, the Custer County Sheriff and the Idaho Department of Fish and Game and the FBI searched for him. You might find that funny that Fish and Game would be searching for someone. But um, mm-hmm. the fish cops, as they're known around here, uh, mm-hmm. actually help quite a lot in very rural communities uh-huh. to help. Well, to and they know those backwoods. I mean, this is where we yeah. went. If you guys uh, were with us, where we went on our cemetery tour. And if you did, you know how rural that is and how much, uh, you know, back country there is there that, uh, you know, somebody could really slip away in. So let's, can we talk for just a minute about the, the brawl about what happened at the bar? Yeah, let's do, let's do. So, so he was ahead. roughing up his wife in the bar. Yeah. He was yeah. drunk and, belligerent and he was uh, getting really physical, violent with his wife and his best friend, the, the woolly guy and yeah. uh, Some other bar, you know, the bar owner and some other patrons wrestled him outside. And basically uh, they said his friend was like one of the only people that could really get through to him. I'm guessing this guy kind of had some long-term behavior issues, you know, but yeah, uh, they kind of well that, known for mm-hmm. being an ass. Yeah. Yeah. But basically they said that, you know, he was uh, one of the only Daniel Woolley was one of the only people he would even listen to. So right. Woolley helped, you know, march him out of the bar and told him he needed to stay out here and cool down and knock it off. And he went across the street to his truck. So his truck I'm thinking is, was parked at the other bar. There was a bar across the street. Yeah. So, so they were kind of, Going back mm-hmm. and forth between he two. went across the street, yeah, the street to his truck, and got two guns. Came back over to this bar to the sports club, and that's where he shot Daniel Woolley in the head. He went in the bar then and shot six times, and yeah. somebody was also struck in the shoulder. Yeah, one of the guys that had marched him out, the two Sweeneys, mm-hmm. the yeah. dad and son Sweeney. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them was shot. Yep. Then he went back across the street to the other bar where his truck was parked, went inside. This was the silver bar and asked the bartender. He said, I need my, I want to drink my last drink for I have just killed a man. That's how the story goes. And that he drained a shot, went and climbed in his truck and off he went and no one saw him again. Yeah. And so it's not just that he just abandoned his life. He abandoned his wife, his property, everything, everything. Just, just disappeared. disappeared. Yeah. yeah. So weird. So weird. And I guess, you know, you got to remember this is 1980 and this is rural Idaho. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, they've used all their resources they could to try to find him. They at one point thought that he was in Montana and another time they thought that he was in Nevada. But um, it, it, this incident had such a huge impact on Clayton too. This is a tiny mm-hmm. little place. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Mason's wife, Candace, who was, you know, one of the victims in this situation was the only teacher at the Custer school at that time. 
And because this whole incident had a lot of publicity and it was really upsetting to her, she moved to a, a little town nearby called Chalice. And because of that, they had to close the school and bus the kids to school in Chalice because they didn't have a teacher anymore. Wow. And this wasn't in 1880. This was in 1980. <laughs> I know you may be asking so. yourself. <laughs> what the hell, you know, but this is rural Idaho. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are still a few places that are like a single room, single teacher schoolhouse. Yeah. Now it's not all like that, but there are some places that are a little bit like that. Yeah. I just found that part of the story crazy. And, and yeah. so such a great description of what it's like to live in Idaho. Yeah, especially areas like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So basically he just disappeared off the planet. They never found him. They couldn't find, found nothing about him. And so this case just went cold. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not that they weren't trying. They just had nothing. Yeah. Until October of 2019. There was his stepdaughter. So he married. So Walter Mason became Walter Allison, Walter James Allison. And he was, turns out he was living in Eastland County in Texas. Mm -hmm. And his wife, wife, because obviously he wasn't legally married, couldn't have been, or all of this was a lie, had, had died not long before that. And his, one of his stepdaughters, who had always been a little suspicious of him and wasn't real, really a super big fan, um, learned that he was actually wanted for murder and turned him in. Mm -hmm. And he was arrested in Texas and then he was extradited to Idaho. Mm -hmm. And it just was shocking. I remember when it came out in the news, mm -hmm. it was really shocking that, you know, after all this time they would find him. He mm -hmm. is an elderly man. Now he's yeah. 86 He's in terrible condition. He um, has been being held in the uh, in a state hospital in Blackfoot, Idaho, which is not far mm -hmm. from where we live, because he is not mentally fit to proceed to trial. He's in such bad shape that they were a little worried about transporting him from Idaho, from Texas to Idaho, if he would even make the trip. Yeah, the uh, the staff at the Texas jail who'd been holding him until he was extradited were very concerned uh, because of how frail he was at their jail yeah. and really warned the, uh, you know, the, the people transporting be extremely careful with him. Apparently they, he'd had some trouble there. And yeah. yeah, the last thing they need is for a suspect to die in their custody, you know, but right. Uh, it sounds like there had been some in the past, there'd been some violence between him and this daughter. Yeah, yeah, that he had been a bad guy. They never liked him. They never trusted him. Mm -hmm. And um, he, you know, she wasn't too surprised to find that he was, you know, yeah, basically hiding out. Right. Well, she found something with his other last name on it yeah. in the house and put it in an internet search because she's just always wondered who the hell this guy is that just showed up out of nowhere. Right. And has been so suspicious and weird. So she found some documentation in the house and cleaning out her mother's stuff that I uh, had a different last name on it. Yeah. So she went to the Google with it and discovered, Holy shit, this guy's wanted for murder. 
And I think she couldn't make that phone call fast enough. You know, I think so at that point. Yeah. That, you know, it was sort of just confirming everything that she had thought. Well, you think for the stepdaughters, I mean, or, you know, quote unquote stepdaughters, they had this old man dumped on them, you know, who didn't have any family, didn't have anybody but them and they hated him and their mother's dead and they don't want to have to take care of this guy. What do they do with him? You know, and, and he's in some stage of Alzheimer's and, you know, I mean, there's, what do they do? Right. They're stuck with him. Right. And then to discover what a discovery to make, you know, Oh my gosh. Imagine. imagine. Yeah. Right. So they, he was that surprised. I bet they weren't, they weren't, he was living in rising star, which is a tiny little town in Texas. Mm -hmm. And they, um, there've been some interviews done with some of the neighbors that lived around them. And they said that this guy hardly ever left the house. Yeah. Uh, He did not work. Um, Beverly Meekum was the woman that he was living with and she worked for the school district and it appeared that she was the one supporting him, that, that he didn't work. He didn't leave the house. How could he, you know, right. How could he, he couldn't use his real name. Um, his social security number, it would ping somewhere. Yeah. I'll just tell you this story because it's funny as hell. <laughs> um, so the neighbor said he'd only had a couple of, interactions with him said he was a recluse and seemed pretty self-centered um (laughs) but one time he helped him this is such an idaho thing to say it happened in texas but it could have happened here and the neighbor they had a broken fence and they had some cows get out and so the neighbor came and helped him and another time um mason had driven a vehicle into the ditch and the same neighbor came and helped him get out (laughs) and after Helping uh, with these things, uh, the neighbor recalls that he didn't say thank you or kiss my foot or nothing. <laughs> Our grandpa used to say kiss my foot. So I just thought that was pretty <laughs> So he was just living in a place where, I mean, people knew he was kind of weird, mm-hmm. but there wasn't anything they could do. You know, it was just, it was also a place that he was very much, very well hidden. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, since he's been extradited here to Idaho, they have twice now, the prosecution has asked for a mental evaluation to see, you know, just to double check, is he playing us? Is this a condition that is, you know, could get better? And the determination is that no, it isn't. Yeah. So it's unclear right now if he'll just be held until the time of his death. That's what seems most likely. It's very disappointing for Daniel Lowry's family because, uh, you know, they wanted a conviction. Of course they did, you know, Absolutely. but at least they, you know, at least it went this far. It is disappointing that it can't go farther, but at least they did get a hold of him finally. And uh, they did. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he's not even fit to stand trial at this point. No. Yeah. No, it's but- wild. They would like to charge him with first degree murder, but they can't. Mm-hmm. They may just end up holding him in the state hospital for the rest of his life. I'll bet they do. Which which may not be much longer, frankly. You know, he's just in really poor shape. But Mm -hmm. just a crazy story that he could go that long, Mm -hmm. you know, 40 years without being identified that he got away with it for that long. Mm -hmm. Interesting that his wife that he left in in, uh, Clayton was a teacher. And then he ends up in Texas with another woman who works 
for the school teacher. district. Yeah, another teacher. I mean, I he's got a type, but he, he it also makes does. you wonder what the hell did he tell her? Because you yeah. know that it wasn't the truth. No, <laughs> no. But what did he tell her? Tale that he going. He had to have that he couldn't mm -hmm. work, you know, that he, he had to make sure nobody knew who he really was. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. did she really just believe the the story that he was this Allison guy or, you know, did she have some idea that he was running from the police? I don't know. Or was there some lame brain bullshit like he was in the witness protection program or right. know, something I mean, like that? I really something wondered. to get to get her to, you know, buy into this and also to support him, you know. Yeah, he didn't leave. He didn't leave their property. He didn't work. He didn't do anything for himself. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, very interesting. But at least some resolution for the Woolley family that, you know, they have caught him. They do have him. Mm -hmm. But to go 40 years um, as a fugitive is pretty crazy. It is. So we'll keep an eye on this case. You know, if there mm -hmm. is any movement forward, we'll definitely report back on it. But at this yeah. point, it's just stagnated to a place where it looks like the state will probably just hold him until his passing. But yeah, if anything I shifts, of course, like... we'll be back on it. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely will. But it was an interesting story we wanted to tell you. And, uh, you know, if you have any suspicious people in your life, <laughs> keep an eye out. Right. To you the know? Google yeah. yeah, you just never know. I mean, it's so crazy <laughs> to think that somebody like that could infiltrate into your family. Mm -hmm. And you don't know for the, such a long time who they really are. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Very. Ah. Well, that is our story. And we will be back, you know, with the story of Walter Mason. And we'll be back with uh, any updates that we get on this case. But we just want to tell you, this was kind of an interesting one. So. You've been listening to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks for being here with us, you guys. Have a great day. Take care. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.